Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. All right, back again with the Pennsylvania Woodsman. Thanks again for tuning in. We appreciate it, guys. This has been a blast here. And, uh... As always, you got Mitchell Shirk in. And Robbie Henney. How you doing, Mitchell? Well, I uh, I can't complain. I can't complain. I have been, the, the, the realism of my life with a two-year-old and a, a couple-week-old infant is uh, the, the freedom that I once had is, is dwindled. But I've been able to get out, been shooting my bow a bunch, been, uh, was was cleaning up and doing some, some work in my woodlot behind my house, just trying to cut trails in certain ways and change change away deer were moving i worked on my water hole i worked on scrapes um i was up helping uh we, we were working on the one food plot at the other property we hunt i was able to finally go out and help do that and yeah. it felt good to get out and do that yeah we're finally starting to get some nice weather i mean not last monday with the snow uh but i mean it's still been a little chilly but it's not been it hasn't been horrible this is the craziest freaking weather i I've know ever seen. I, I, was, what, I was when when have we ever had like snow April 18th like I was up in like northeastern Pennsylvania and I, I put it on an Instagram story I think I think I said it was like four to six inches and after I I took that video and I went down the road a little further there was a van that had snow on the roof of it and I was like holy crap it's more like eight to 12 yeah. inches it was ridiculous it, yeah it's nuts it's not and even closer to, to home here up up in Schuylkill County I know northern Schuylkill County guys that I work with they had three to four inches up there too but like today now it's 70 degrees 75 degrees yeah it was closer to 80 than it was 70 yeah so i'm hoping that means we're finally out of this this late but i mean you know we we talked last week with planting season and stuff i mean i was talking up with a bunch of growers this this year i mean most of like all of our scheduling that we do from our, our wheat crop and the way we manage wheat and then getting into preparing for corn and soybeans like everything is behind yeah like yep. you know so many guys are like itching to go and they want to plant and they want to do them like just hold the reins back a little bit. Like, forget your calendar. Just go by when it's fit and it's not fit. But yeah. It's just it's just so weird because normally we're we're done spraying wheat. Um, may, what's? I mean, this one this episode is going to air um, on Friday the 29th. But uh, usually that last week of April, I've got a lot of people that are rolling with planting. Um, yep. I have usually have a lot of beans in the ground, and uh, guys are starting to plant some corn. And, you know, you would, <laughs> it's just 
Nobody's doing yeah, they're anything. Yeah, Because it's wet and snow. It's yep. freaking snow in yep. April. Yeah. No, I'm just, like you said, you're starting to shoot your bow. I got mine out and was shooting mine and shot it a few times. So it felt good, so I took it out to... You're shooting a different bow now, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I'm shooting. Yeah. Our uncle gave gave me one to try out, so I I really like it. It's a, about the same year as mine. It, it couple years old three, uh, four years old maybe but but it's like this next level it's, the it's next a flagship level up. yeah exactly a, what i was gonna what say is it, what is it the, the botex the, the prodigy prodigy yeah and uh but right away it's it's longer than mine my carbon icon is i think 28 inches xx or 29 it might be this prodigy is 32 so it's a little bit more stable in the hand i had that stabilizer you got me the one year on it mm-hmm. um it just felt good. It was fast, and right away I could tell it was a little bit quieter. But I was shooting really good groups, and I had to play around with the sight and everything. Sure. Uh, but I took it at, right out to the our bow shop and put new strings on it right away. And oh, did you? Yeah. Yep. Oh, so that that's quick. out there, and uh, they're not too busy right now. So I'll get it back in a week or so, and, okay. and get a new sight put on it, and. Got a new whisker biscuit put on my old bow because I'll still shoot that a little bit and need to get some arrows because I sling <laughs> three at every deer that I shoot. So. Yeah, I was out back at my archery range. I have a, a range at my house. I cut a, a trail in the woods. My my woodlot goes up a hill, but there was it, it goes up to a, a hundred yard target, and uh, I was I was at the one spot where I turn in to go to my water hole. And uh, I look in the tree, and there's this arrow sticking in the tree. And I look at it, and I'm like, it's not mine. Who the heck? <laughs> and I'm thinking, this had to be Robbie. And I'm like, did you ricochet one off the target here? No, was... I, just, I just missed. <laughs> just missed. I, I forget when. That was later. It was after the season, I think. I know I just took it out, and it was just shooting. And... uh did you have your pins set wrong, or was this just a swing and a miss? No, it's just a swing and a miss, I think. Uh, yeah, and there. I was shooting. I forget how far that was, 50 yards or something. Uh, I, I just, did, I did I a good one one I... week. So I've been, you know I've been shooting that my hinge release yeah, forever. Yeah, I did one the other week. I had, uh, I drew back, and I guess I just got way too relaxed, and I had too much tension on my uh on my ring finger, yeah. and I was like three quarters of the way back, and boom, there the arrow went up. Cling, 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 cling. I'm like, my word, I haven't done that in like five, ten years yeah. or something stupid. Like, what the heck did I do? And the other thing I did, um, there was a groundhog out back. I wanted to shoot it with my bow, so I snuck up, and I thought he saw me. He ran in into uh, like towards where the hole was, and I was like, ah, I'm going to try to uh, see if I can still get up there. So he was on his hind legs when I finally saw him. And I quick drew my bow back, and I have a, that single pin sight. And I yep. put it on 20, and I was getting ready to shoot him. Well, then he just kind of eased down and started feeding. I'm like, oh, I got time. So I, I let down and ranged it, and it was 32 yards. I'm like, oh, you are dead. <laughs> and I set my pin, and I drew back. And here on my release, you know, that hinge release has that uh, that half moon on it, yeah. and there's a set screw that sets that. And I, I when I shot uh, – Drew back the first time. I rolled it in. I have a, a clicker on it, so there's like a little notch in that moon. And it clicks in, so it's kind of like a warning, like okay, you're you're about to, you know, you're about to shoot. And uh, I let it down on the click. Well, here the set screw was loose, 
And when I let down, it actually moved the moon slightly okay. and made yeah. it less tight. So when I drew back with my pin set the second time, I barely got the pin on him and I started to relax and the bow went off uh-huh. and here it released yeah. the tension. I just missed right under him. I'm <laughs> like, what the heck am I doing? Like, yeah. do, do I need to go back to a trigger release or what? <laughs> oh, man. So this week we had a we had a great guest come on. Uh, we had a pretty cool early season bow hunting success story uh, with Mark Dissinger. Yeah, he had uh, quite the story for us, and I mean, it really when when he when he tells a story here in a little bit, it's at least for me, it it made my kind of it was it was a good story, but at the same time, it wasn't so great for him, and and sort of made my stomach hurt listening to him. Well, but well, yeah, and like I said, the the story, you know you're about to hear uh there's a lot of hunting strategy and one of the things he didn't know if he wanted to come on and tell a story was he didn't recover the deer right away and it doesn't sound like you know it, i don't think mark did anything wrong no i, I think, think it was so just part of bow hunting oh yeah yeah 100 percent. and uh like i was gonna just as a hunter to hunter like i i i'd feel the way he did now he explains how he was feeling feeling and i would i felt for him too i that's how i'd feel but i, I think what What's more, well, first of all, he was, he persevered and and found his deer. It wasn't the way he wanted it, but it's still a memory. It was still a learning experience. And I was really glad he came to share. But I think the thing that I find so interesting is, and and I've known this from Mark talking to him over the years and stuff like he, he's done really well early season and he's not afraid to hunt hard early. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I get this mindset too, where even in the early season, like I sometimes I only want to focus on the evenings and focus on food, and, and you know that 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 doesn't work for me. But like with his setup, it like he is not afraid to go in the mornings and hunt hard. Yep. Yeah, and it sounds like too. He he talks about it a little bit can't get out as much sometimes with work. He like you just said, he gets out in the morning, but whenever he can hunt in the evening, he gets out in the evening too. So he like you said, he hunts hard. Yeah, he hunts hard. He, I think he, he's a perfect example, and maybe I should take some notes from him, but, like, making the most of the time that you do have available. Yep. Yep. Like, last year, I, I said this uh, to some of my hunting buddies. I was like, you know, last year I was looking at times that I could get out and hunt, and if the, the weather and everything else or the wind direction wasn't right for me to go, I just didn't go. I just figured I'll be yeah. patient. Yeah. And, like, I'm starting to wonder if I ought to have, like, fallback options, but, like, look, the, the the kids are cared for, um, and I've I've got the go ahead. I can go. It doesn't really matter what the wind or the weather is. I've got to have somewhere I can yeah. go. But I mean, in Mark's case, like he's he's just found that early season success, and it seems like the the travel pattern of where those deer are coming into a wood lot, um, early season, uh, really following early season food patterns, acorns. Uh, he's he's you know knocked it out of the park, and he did yep. with this deer. This was a fantastic buck he killed. Yeah. And he really utilizes his uh, trail cameras too. I mean, he really he talked about that a lot. And yeah, I think that's a big part of his yeah. his you know icing to the cake. Yep. So hey, we'll get into it right here. Um, we'll catch you at the end. All right. On the phone with us today, we got Mark Dissinger. Mark, how are you this this uh, fine Sunday afternoon? Oh, I'm doing just lovely. How are you doing, Mitchell? I am ready to go turkey hunting. I know that. What about you? <laughs> uh, yeah, we were out uh, yesterday. Had my son out yesterday, and okay, yeah, junior, hunt. how'd that go? Yeah, we had some action. Um, 
we had uh, a bunch of birds gobbling on roost, and uh, they come down and came in silent and a little too far. Okay. We seen one. It was it was a Jake, but he was a little too far. We did see end up seeing three hens and a Jake, uh, farther away in a field and uh, on a dead buck. But uh, we had a good morning. It was a good morning. We left probably too early. Okay. Um, did he have a Did he have a baseball game or something to go to? No, he just more or less it got quiet, and then my son was like, "Yeah," I was like, "Okay, well, we'll go home." And then uh, I think the later in the morning, the neighbor sent me a, a picture. There was a a gobbler right where we were. <laughs> we walked past there in the morning. So, oh, jeez. Uh, of course, you showed it up. to him, right? Oh yeah, I, I sent it to him. But we're going to gear up for this Saturday. I'm struggling to find some long beards right now. I think the kid will go. We'll go back out this Saturday after him and see what we can do. But it was a good morning, definitely. Did, did you do much scouting prior to the season? I've been doing as much as I can with my work schedule, and yeah. this year was one of the, the struggles. I have been struggling this year a lot to find what I found in previous years. Okay. I mean, last year we had I had a bunch of different birds found, and uh, I end up. I killed one the first day. My son missed one on the youth day. But uh, I had a better year last year than I'm having this year. That's I see. Sure. But now today, uh, about two, three hours ago, my wife said, hey, there's a turkey crossing the road. So now I'm gearing up here at home trying to – there must be a straggler around here. They usually they come here in the winter, and I'll have a big flock during the winter, and they always leave. They always leave, and I can't get to where they go. Mm. But uh seems to be this year there is a, a buddy of mine texted me this morning. He heard a gobbler on the backside of the hill where I live, and it makes makes it interesting. Now that's where I was out today putting some trail cameras out, seeing what seeing what happens here. Uh, maybe we can go right here about the, behind the house. <laughs> yeah, that week. makes it nice, nice and quick and easy. Probably kid can get out before school in that case. Yes. I mean, it, it never fails where I live every fall. The turkeys come in, and with 5C not having a fall season, I just watch them, and then I, I feed them in the wintertime, and 30, 40 birds here, five, six, seven long beards, bunch of jakes, and then come the middle of March, they leave. Mm. So it's never they never hang around in time. But yeah, we had a good morning yesterday, though. It was a good day in the woods, that's for sure. Good deal. Well, yeah, and uh, you had uh, you had a pretty good fall this year too. Pretty good day in the woods in the in the fall this year, isn't that right? Yes, uh, we did. I did well this year in the fall, barring my sparse time to get out. But I had a really good uh, early October, and then it continued through October. My son did well in the month of November, so we we did well. So there's plenty with, of meat in the uh, freezer at your house. Yes, uh, we we got the freezer full of venison. That's for sure. <laughs> Good deal. There was uh, there was a pretty nice rack to go with that and yours, and that's kind of the story we were kind of getting into today here. Uh, you killed a, a dandy of a buck this year in early, you know, first half of the of uh, of archery season. Yes, uh, it was, uh, I I shot him October seventh, and uh, I got the first. First inkling that he was around on September 18th. My wife threw me a surprise 40th birthday party and a bunch of friends over and carrying on. I run, I run a lot of trail cameras, um, quite a few cell cameras also. And during that party night, I got a 
cell cam picture and popped up and I was like, whoa, look at this guy. And I originally thought it was a different deer that I found sheds from um, two years ago. I do a lot of shed hunting and we found a set of sheds and I thought it was him right away. And then the picture started continuing into uh, late September and I realized it was a different deer, okay. much wider deer. And uh, then the then the game started. The chess match started. You so know, at that, that point, was, uh, for you, the season would have been open, right? Right, the September eighteenth, we would have been in in five C. Your, your season would have that that would have been right around I the think, time of the opener, right? I think that was the opening night, Mitchell. I believe that was the opening night. Now, honestly, I didn't go out that night because of the, sure, the party, sure. but yes. Um, and then uh, it would have been. I don't know if it was a week after or the two weeks after. It was right around there. My work schedule got goofy on me, and uh, we went to 12-hour shifts. And if I would have been normal, I would have been out the following week in the mornings. And I had pictures of him one morning walking around my property, nibbling on acorns all morning long. It was like 8 o'clock till like 9.30. He was just all over the place in daylight. And I was just it, it it hurt sitting there watching these pictures and like yeah I, I would have been there you know but um yeah then, so go so let me let me backtrack for just a second so one of the things that i find so interesting we talk with so many people um talking about their strategy throughout the season beginning to the end what i find so unique about all the deer that I've talked about with you that you've had some sec- some success on and killing some good deer for that matter is you've really been luck you've really been doing well in that first early half and in the mornings like you know just on what we talked about now you're not afraid to go after something in the morning in early season but before we get into like your your deer that you killed this year can you like shed light a little bit on your logic and your thought process going into the first half of the season you know for for this deer and any other deer sure uh now the properties that i own a small plot and I have uh, neighbors that allow me to get on some of their plots and then some that are off limits but where I hunt is a lot of oaks and the early season I won't have much of summer pitchers spring summer it, it gets pretty sparse okay. you know, you're gonna have your does those are your fawns and I might get a couple bucks here and there but when the acorns stop start dropping it's like, boom, this light switch turns on, and then I get different deer, which I haven't, I can't say I watch them all summer long, because they just show, they show, but then they're here for the majority of the fall, and I'll, I'll hold them here if there's acorns. Okay. Now, I think it's two, two years ago, three years ago, I'm not quite sure, we had a bad acorn crop. I struggled okay. big time. I so, mean, I really struggle. Is the is the general area where you're spending your time hunting, do you have an isolated section of oaks, or is there other oak trees in the area? Like, how are those, those deer, you said the, you're holding deer and those deer dispersing to you. Are you getting an unfair advantage in the area because you've got more oaks than the surrounding area, or what is that like for you? I probably have access to the majority of the oaks in the immediate area okay. uh, there's a hill surrounded by ag fields all around it but some there's little plots here and there but 
the the hill that I have access to, I'm going to say 50, 60 acres. I can't hunt all those acres, but the majority of that woodlot is oaks, white oaks, red oaks, black oaks. And, I mean, the ag fields are there, but you, everybody knows deer love acorns. So that's what helps. My my property, that I, the small plot I own, is all oaks. Okay. And it, in, in the mornings, it is a magnet. I mean, I have, have better luck hunting in the mornings, in the early, when the early acorns start dropping, than any other time, any other part of my hunting career. I mean, since I moved here and got this land, it's just, if we have acorns, you got if, if the acorns are here, the deer will be here. And gotcha. it's just a matter of setting up. And it seems like when they come in from the fields, the ag fields, and coming back to the bedding, they're going to nibble on them acorns before they go in. Uh, evenings, evening hunts, there, we do have luck. I mean, me and my son do have luck here, but my, for me killing buck, I've killed every buck since we moved here in the morning. Wow. Here. So. That's pretty interesting. So, with the kind of with the layout that I'm picturing in my head as you describe this, you're talking about deer probably filtering back off of ag fields and kind of doing that uh, early morning to mid morning feeding as they go back to bed. Now, is the area you're in does it seem like it's kind of a transition zone for you, or are you kind of smack dab in the middle of bedding and they just might be cruising through? Like, what does that look like? I pretty much am hunting the travel corridors from feeding to bedding. Um, I have a little bit of bedding on my property, but it isn't enough to hold the amount of deer that are here all the time. There's the neighbor property. They have excellent bedding on that. Um, now, with the ag fields all around, it's hard to pattern mm-hmm. a, a single deer because any given night, they might go to the west. They might go to the east. They might go to the south, you know, wherever they want to go that night because they have a dinner table pretty much. 360 degrees around this plot of woods. Right. But, I mean, I'm going to go right up my deer. The the deer I killed this year, believe it or not, he started patterning early. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. So you had that that buck show up, but you said, you told me before we started that um, you had no history with that deer until he showed up on September 18th. So, yeah, let's, let's get into that. That, that's correct. He was a, I mean, like I said, I do a lot of shed hunting and from years past, we see some deer that stick, they make it to survive the orange army, so to say. And then I'll get sheds from them and that's a good deer to look for next year. This deer, I've never, and he was, I didn't have him aged. I'm going with probably four and a half years old. Okay. I've never, never had pictures of him, never seen him before. And I run a lot of trail cameras and it was like, wow. You know, usually the deer here, the genetics are, we get some good deer, but the, the racks ain't real wide. This guy was wide. Um, I killed one about four years ago, a really good 10 point, but he was only 16 inches wide, but real long time. His beams almost touched, you know, and that was a similar situation. I killed him at the end of September, also on early feeding patterns, Okay, but I won't dwell on that one too much. Uh, this buck, I called him the Sticker 9. Uh, he was a, a mainframe 8-pointer with a sticker uh, kicker off his G2. And 
started getting pictures of him and started trying to figure, okay, where's he at? Where's he living? Look, where's he going? You know, I want, this is the deer I, I want to kill this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to try. Because obviously, over the inventory I had on trail cameras, this was the biggest deer that we had on so camera. That first right now. trail camera picture you got was that at a stand location in that kind of transition zone between bedding and feeding, or you know, tell me about where you picked him up, and then how did your trail camera setup maybe get modified to then kill that deer a few weeks later? The first picture of him was at a mineral spot. Okay. I do not have a stand there, but uh, it was at a mineral location that I've been, well, it's been going for years. You know, they, they, they like that. Mm-hmm. I put a lot of, usually put a lot of minerals out through the winter. Um, some in, mostly in the spring too, winter, spring, and then I'll stop. Come in midsummer, I'll mm-hmm. usually stop mineraling. But that was the first spot. And then, uh, I'm trying to, you know, trying to figure them out. And I got in there, I had in there the first picture. And then I had him there another time. And then I had him midway through my property feeding on acorns. So I knew he was like on the straight, so, so somewhere in this, the top of the, I'm like on the top of the hill. So he's right in there. Then I started hanging other cameras and, uh, I had him just after dark on a regular basis coming by one of my stands, but he was 20 minutes on that early season, 20, 25 minutes after, after light. Gotcha. So now I'm trying to, now I have him and that's all in like a, basically a straight line. So I had him at point A, point B, and now he's at point C. So I know he's using this quite regularly. So then actually the, the stand where I killed him, I had, did not have a camera over there right away. And then I put a camera over, or that was on a neighbor's property. I, uh, initially, early season, I wasn't, I passed a few bucks once the season started because I knew this guy's around. Okay. There's nothing comparable to him. And then as it gets in, I like to put, I just usually put a, a doe in the freezer early. So I had a, hung a camera on the neighbor property and I was getting does regularly right at daybreak coming, coming back from the ag field. So, me and my son, I came home from work one day, one afternoon, I said to my son, I said, let's go hang a stand. I want to hang it for a doe. Okay. Initially. So, we go over. It was hot. I remember being there in shorts, rubber knee-high boots, sweating, unbelievable. Picked a tree, and we hung this stand. And I said to him, I said, tomorrow morning, I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to hunt a doe. Basically, my intentions were to shoot a doe. So this stand location, it was how far was that from where you had originally picked up those first pictures of that bug? Um, two, three hundred yards. Okay. Basically, still the same. I ain't gonna say like a perfect straight line, but it's in vicinity. It's basically the same travel corridor back and forth. Now I had no idea that he was using that area. Okay. I had him to to the like the back of my house back of my house. I had him from the back of my house to the back of my property. I had him, you know, three different spots. Boom, boom, boom. I knew okay, he's using this line. Never did I think, you know, that he could be transitioning onto this other neighbor's property to this ag field, which the ag field that was over there was a sorghum field. Okay. 
And I mean, deer do like sorghum, but they usually don't hammer it like they do corn and soybeans sure. in your early, early, early fall. So we hung this stand and like I said, I was getting camera pictures of a lot of mature does and some small bucks, but my intention was the morning of October 7th, get up and go over there and we're going to hunt a doe. Um, I just had, we have a shutdown at work and I was off, I had off October 7th and the whole following week. So I was going to definitely hunt hard to at least put one deer in the freezer Okay. during that week, week and a half. So I get up that morning and do what I said I was going to do. I go over there and set up and daybreak comes and goes nothing. I didn't, I didn't see a deer. And, uh, it was on the verge of 7.30, 20 of 8, somewhere around there. Uh, I'm looking around and I look over my right shoulder and I see him. I was like, oh my God. You know, that I, I knew right away I didn't have to sit there and binocular or look at, I, I didn't remember. That's so at him. that point then, how far is he? From me, he was, uh, going to say 70, 80 yards. Okay. He's at the edge of the sorghum field, um, just feeding it. And there's a there's an oak tree there at the edge, of, a big oak tree, uh, at the edge of this, the ag field. And he's chewing on acorns. And where I position this stand, there is it's it's a pinch point. There's two two trails that come off this field, and they might be 50 yards apart. And the one goes on a straight line. And the other one comes, wraps around, and, and meets the other trail. And I had my stand positioned where I could shoot both them trails right where they, right before they meet. Okay. So I I knew, as I'm trying to calm myself because everything was lining up. He's there. If he commits to come through this woodlot, I have him because there's two trails, and I either have him. He's in front of me. Or he's going to come behind me. And, I mean, all they just do is commit. Commit to come through the woods. And after watching, I took a little a short video of him, believe it or not. I had time because I, I knew he wasn't spooked. And it was like, all right, I'm going to take a little video of him. Huh. And, uh, yeah, hindsight 22, you know. But I do have that to remember of him. Um, he commits. So he's coming. He's coming through the woodlot. And he picks the trail that's behind my stand. So I get myself turned around and he's just feeding through, not alerted, nothing. He comes in, he's within 15, 17 yards and he's coming right to me. So I picked my opening. I drew my bow and over the 20 or so buck I've killed with a bow in my life, I almost always give him a mat and stop him. And that's something I just always did. Well, with this deer being the biggest deer I had ever chance to kill, um, I decided I'm not going to stop him because he's calm. He's relaxed. He's just doing his thing. And he stopped perfect for me. And I'm on full draw. And as I touched off the trigger, he took a step front. Should I have stopped him? I don't know. He was relaxed. I just thought. I'm going to leave him go because he's calm. It's a big deer. It's an old deer. It's a smart deer. You give him something to alert him. I don't need that. Yeah, hindsight's always twenty twenty in that situation. So from your perspective, after the arrow release, where did you see it hit? 
it was on track to go right down the boiler room. I mean, right in the pumps, the pump house. And he took a step. When I released, he took a step front. So that moves your arrow. I moved my arrow back four or five inches back further than I wanted to hit. But it still hit ribs. It wasn't back real far at all. I mean, I had it. He mule kicked unbelievable. Complete pass through. He busted through the woods. I remember watching him, and there was a little bit of an incline before I lost sight of him. And I'll, I'll remember this till the day I die. He turned his head sideways to get his rack through some of the honeysuckle <laughs> as he, and it wasn't like he, he ran uphill, but he had to go up a little bit of an incline. And as I tra- trailed him, and he went down, but I, I remember that. And I, he, he mule kicked, which I always thought was a wonderful, wonderful sign. You know, it wasn't like a, he didn't hunch up. He was a straight out, both legs out the back, blue leaves, you know, and took off running. So I gave him a little bit of time and uh, I crawled down. And I remember calling my wife. And my, my voice was, you know, I was, I was crazy. <laughs> I get an adrenaline rush like you won't believe. <laughs> Why do it if With, you don't, right? Oh, if I ever stop that, getting that rush, I'm done. I'm not going to do it because I was shaking. Because this is a deer I wanted to kill. I scouted him. He surprised me. It was a flat out surprise. And it, it could have been, he might have been using that whole trail. I didn't have a camera over there a lot. But another thing I think helped me too, element of surprise. I hung a stand in there the night before. I hunted the next morning and boom, there he was. But get down, check my arrow. Um, good blood. A little bit of a paunch on the, the fletchings, which mm. puzzled me a little bit. So, uh, so when he took his step forward, was he broadside or was he slightly quartered towards you, or what? What did that look like? My initial thought he was completely broadside, um, and I still think he was completely broadside. But my arrow did not. If it deflected in there, I don't know. Okay. But basically, what my hit was, entry was good, exit was quartered away. It like kicked back. Um which is where I probably got the gut on the arrow from. But I had really good blood, really good blood. And I trailed him, I'd say, 50, maybe 60, 60, 70 yards. I had, I mean, I had excellent blood to begin with, pouring out. Arrow was a complete pass through. And as he went up that little incline in the woods, I had good blood, and then it started petering out. Which I'm puzzled, you know, I'm, I'm lost. I'm like, why? I, he's bleeding really good. The, the, the hit looked excellent. So I backed out. I let him go a little bit. Well, actually, I let him go most of the day. And being's a, a bigger deer, biggest deer of my life that I ever archery equipment, you know, I'm thinking I'm not going to push this thing. So I, where I had last blood, I stopped. And he was on a neighbor, he went on a neighbor property, which don't allow hunting, but they allowed me to track this deer. Okay. So I talked to my dad and, uh, showed him a pitch. He knew which deer it was too. And he's like, well, why don't you call a tracker? So I contemplated a little bit and I thought maybe that's the best route we go here. You know, I don't want to go. It's early season. Everything's green. Where he went is extremely thick. So I, I did. I called the tracker and 
And this is the first deer of my life I ever, I'd never retrieved. You know, I mean, maybe back in my early archery career, I might have winged one or two, but since my 20s and 30s, I've been pretty spot on. I'm, I'm feeling sick to begin with. I mean, this is just like, I don't want anybody, any of my close friends or anybody to have to feel what I felt that day. Sure, sure. You know, so you yeah, brought this, the tracker this, in and it was just an unsuccessful day with the track dog. Yes. Uh, he had two dogs. Now he said they're both young dogs and I showed him my arrow and he said it's pretty much a slam dunk, you know, and we waited till three o'clock that afternoon. I shot him 7.30 ish in the morning. Was it a warm day that day too or was it? Yes. Yeah. The, the, October 7th, it was, it was warm. All that's that second week, third, it was all, it was warm yeah. through that time of year, which usually I'm used to that. I killed a bunch of that time of year and have a refrigerator empty, usually quarter them and put them in there when I get them. Yep. But dog tracker comes and he said, take me to a shot point. I said, okay. He says, he stayed back. He's walk over where you hit the deer, tie a ribbon on the tree and I'll go over to the dogs. Went, went over to the dogs, boom, picked it up and they're going. Well, the, he had one dog at a time. I'm sorry. That dog took us right to where I basically had last blood. It started going down and, uh, I had permission and we went down to the neighbor's property and this dog's working, 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 but we didn't have nothing. I had tracks and some pine needles, big tracks. And I said, that's him. You know, I, I believe that that's the path he was going. So the dog weaseled around and he went down and brought the dog back a few times. He said, that something ain't right here. Tracker went and got another dog. Same thing, exactly the same path. And, I don't know. We spent two hours. I was not long, kept keeping track of time, but he basically apologized to me and said, I don't know my dog. I'm disappointed in my dogs. I'm sorry, but this isn't going anywhere. So let down number two for the day. And I'm pretty sure this deer is dead. I mean, from what I've seen with shot, history of archery hunting, lots of deer killed with a bow. This deer is dead. But so we regrouped, and then that night, my wife, my son, and myself went on a, just just a body search. Basically, we were we're walking, we're walking, and we were all over. I pretty much I knew we were, we were going to our cabin the, the following day, so I wasn't worried about destroying my hunting area that morning that that day. But we were going to definitely leave scent and blow it apart, basically. Sure, but I mean, for for the prize at the end, I mean, that's what you got to do in that yeah. case. Yes. So we were all over, and uh, the next day, it was a Thursday I shot him. It was a Friday morning before we went to the cabin. My wife, myself, and my neighbor, I said, there's one part of this spot, the hill, we didn't we didn't hit last night. That's uh, it's, it's walk that. And that's the, the side that we had the dog on. So we're walking it, and it's hot. I mean, covered in hitchhikers and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. sweating. You know, we might have walked two hours back and forth grid and basically trying to grid search and no avail. So I'm just tore apart. I mean, we're leaving for our hunting cabin. I got to leave this deer that I know is dead somewhere and I, I, I can't find him right now. And I'm, so we left and we were upstate and Took my son out, did some hunting, and every time I was in the tree, I could not stop thinking about this deer. 
where, why, how, when, you know. So we come home and I contacted a few other neighbors, two other neighbors. They've asked if I can look. I told them, yeah, go ahead. So I calculated up eight miles on looking for this deer, eight miles in a matter of three days. Come day four, it was either day four or day five, the neighbor who went with me on Friday, he calls me as I'm coming back. I was hunting on the mountain, up at the Blue Mountain here, down home, down Hartsville area. He calls me, he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm on my way home from hunting. Why? He says, I was just taking my son down to my parents, and I see a bunch of buzzards along the road. I was like, oh. He said, I'm going to check it out. I said, all right, I'm on my way. So as I make the turn onto that road, he calls me. He says, dude, I found him. I said, you got to be kidding me. He says, I found him. Mm. So I pull up. We go down and look. And the warm October days, there was nothing left of him. I mean, it was complete disgusting, stinky mess. But there he laid. And from where you found him, Mark, I mean, what kind of uh, total distance was that from point of impact of shot? And, you know, and, and you know, if it would have semi-circled, like how far of a, of a trail was it? Straight line, because during shed season this year, I pinned both spots from point of impact where the arrow was impacted him to where he uh, was laying was basically 300 yards. Okay. 300 yards. Now, the real kick of the story, which makes me more upset than the four days, myself and my wife, I was within 40 yards of him on Friday morning, the day after I shot him. My wife was probably closer, maybe 25. Mm. It's the way, the position he laid, the honeysuckle bush he decided to lay underneath, he was like, completely camouflaged he didn't lay with his white belly up his white belly was down his horns are chocolate to begin with they're dark a real dark rack it was like you just picked the perfect spot man to hide and tuck yourself in that that's what really i mean after all that time i walked and we walked and just to think we walked past him twice mm-hmm. and it really Really, really got to me a little bit, but that's an older deer, a mature deer, doing what he wanted to do. You know, he he knew. I'm I'm almost sure he was. He expired before the dog trackers came. Before the dog tracker came that that morning, right. that afternoon, I should say. But uh, I mean, what I, I entailed, in my opinion, and I'm everybody has opinions, but when he went up that little bit of an incline and he turned his head and that little bit of an incline. I'm thinking it shifted his insides enough to plug his exit hole, which I did find when I retrieved him. His exit hole was low at the last rip. Mm. Entry hole, I couldn't find anymore. It was the high. I mean, the coyotes, flies, you know, they just just destroyed this deer. And I would have loved, it was a magnificent deer, a big deer. Mature deer. And there I am looking at him. He's a skeleton mm. with some hide and, but I did, I did look at that. His exit hole was the last rib at the bottom. So that makes back to my 
shot. It went in, probably caught lung, liver, and then exited down and away. So the arrow must have went in and hit left, hit glanced left. So then it became okay. We go home, get my tag, and hold your breath and get the only thing that's left of him that you want is your rack. You know, and all that meat was gone, but. I did retrieve the rack and I did flip him over enough and hold my breath enough to look for the investigating, the investigating yeah. part. But I was still destroyed. The only buck I ever shot with a bow that I ever retrieved. And of course it had to be the biggest. Yeah. And that's, know. that's a, that's a painful story, Mark. Um, I'm glad you shared it with us because, you know, as, as hard as that is for you to share, it's a learning experience, you know, you do you bow hunt long enough you hunt long enough you're going to have the highs of highs and the lows of lows unfortunately but the thing i like about the story is he did keep after it pretty hard but there's a there's a lot of other cool aspects you know from the learning the deer in that very short amount of time and and strategizing with stands to ultimately fall through when you you did eventually get him. I mean it it's sad, but it's part of it. And I think it was perseverance that that led you to uh, led you to your biggest deer here, even though it didn't end quite the way you wanted. Yeah, I mean I didn't I didn't call. A lot of my buddies said, "Dude, you should have called." And I didn't. I was just sick to the stomach that day. I didn't really notify a lot of my buddies at all. You know, I, I got a bunch of hunting buddies and all. And, uh, we would have came, we would have grid searched it and we would have had five, six guys, you know, and yeah. one guy said, one, one buddy said he had thermal, he could have helped me try to find it. And then I have a, my dog who isn't a track dog, but he's an Australian cattle dog. He absolutely loves deer. When I bring them home, he absolutely loves them. He lays with them and carries <laughs> on. And when, when I, I skin him, you know, he'll lay with the hide and all that. My dad says, you should have just took him. He said he probably would have did good for you. And yeah, that's one of them should have, could have, would have. But, you know, in, in the spur of the moment, you're just like, I got to find this deer. I'm going to do everything I can to find this deer. You know, I, that's not the kind of hunter you are. You know, you practice. I, I shoot bow religiously from May, you know, at least two, three times a week. You know, you, your shots, your bows, equipment's there, everything. You take your time. It's just, I guess it's the the way God wanted it to play out that day and wasn't the way I would have storybook wrote it but uh in the end I was I was happy um I did have I took it to one buddy for our, our local gun club and he measured it up for me uh he was right around 130 and change his his main beams are 22 inches uh, G2s are right around 9 G3s are at 8 inches um, mass was started at four, held his mass pretty much through. At the end of his beams, they get bladed. Both beams are identical. At the end, they flatten out like a nice blade. Brow tines were weak on him, but he was still the, the majestic deer of the hill for the year. And he was the king, the biggest one I had on camera until, you know, we're getting into the Thanksgiving time, late, late November. I started getting some other mature deer showing up. But this one was the one that, you know, he was the one I was going after, especially early season. Um, I've had so much success in early season. I probably have only killed out of 20-some buck with a bow, 
um, under 10 during the rut. Most of the other ones have been in the first two weeks of the season. I want to dig into that a little bit more, Mark. But before we do that, the one question I wanted to ask you is if you had that magic wand that you could wave and you could take you back and do something different in that whole experience, is there anything that you look back on as like, I, if I could do it again, this is how I would have done it from, you know, the, the, the point where you shot him until you actually recovered him? Um, the shot, no, because I was bared down, locked in on him. You know, and there's nothing I could do about him taking that step. It's just he something he decided to take one step. It wasn't like a jolt either. It's just like a regular, just a walking step. Um, if I would have to do it again, maybe the tracks that I seen that morning, they were in some pine needles. From that point to where he laid was only probably 150 yards in a straight line. And there's a dried up creek bed. And that is where he laid. And I even thought about that Friday morning when I'm walking. There's a little pond down at the bottom. and I circled around that because naturally you go thinking water, all that. And I, I even thought to myself, I should walk that dry creek bed up, up, uphill, you know. And with the neighbor, my wife, above me, and they're cutting out. I thought, no, I ain't going to bother. That's my biggest regret. Me telling myself that I should do that and that I didn't do it. Mm. And that's where he, he laid. He laid right there. I mean, he was, there was a, a pretty good embankment to go up and he was at the bottom of it and that dry creek bed right there. I, if I would have walked that up, I would have found him. Mm. I would have found him Friday. And that is my biggest regret. And probably the only thing I would change is listen to my instincts and not, you know, take everything for granted. Just would go with your gut. And my gut told me to do it, and I didn't do it. So, gotcha. Yeah, you know, that 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 torqued me pretty hard. I mean, I knew he was dead. I knew I was going to find him eventually, but I, I didn't want to find him the way I did. I, I really didn't. I mean, it, it's it was a sad sight to see. It really was. It yeah. for for the animal. It was no respect for the animal either to have to do that, and some of that's my yeah. fault. And I'll. I'll take yeah, that and let's be It's still just it's yeah. part of the way it goes with boating. Robbie, what do you uh, what do you take from from this? Do you have any questions for Mark? Yeah, I just wanted to say this might be a good segue into talking about uh, hunting the pre rut, the early season there. But I found the whole time you're talking there in the beginning, I found it interesting that you've never seen this buck before, and he popped up on camera. You said there on September 18th or whatever it was, and. Uh, and all the deer you shot were, do you get that a lot where you deer just pop up or have the majority been, you've seen the deer grow one, two, three years or whatever it is. Um, or do most of them kind of, kind of just show up on your property? Um, I think it was maybe five years ago. I had, that was another big, I was a big 10 pointer shot. That one is, is a similar situation. That was late mid September. I had cameras out and that was before I had cell cameras. And I had like three or four mature buck just snap a finger. Boom. Here they are. Now I didn't own the property too much till then. I think it was maybe my third year into it, but it was like, boom, I got a picture of this deer and that, that particular deer, I had one trail cam picture of him. He had a split G2, which was 
uh, you know, on his calling card. That was his sign that I could, you know, pick him out. I lie. Yeah, I had one picture of him. I had one picture of him. So I set up that year in a white oak tree and they were hitting the white oaks and that deer, I did not, I wasn't targeted for that deer that year. I had a, a nine point that I've watched grow. It was, he was a three year old that year. Yeah. And he, he blew, he, he blew up from two to three. He blew up and that deer, I had him patterned. That was, now I don't get many summer deer. Yep. That deer was, he was living here. I had him pretty much pinned to a T, you know, that that's a deer I wanted that year. And it was, it was, he was just a nine point, probably 19 inches, just a beautiful nine point buck. Yep. I seen him early in that archer season one morning and he had this 10 pointer with him. They were running together. It was like a bachelor group of mature buck. And I thought, well, I seen them at the upper end of my property. So and then again, just similar to what happened this year, I went and I hung a stand on a Sunday. Sunday afternoon, I hung a stand. Monday morning, I worked night shift. I came home from work, got dressed quick, and walked out back. And that morning, I remember hearing this deer ripping and tearing around. I, I watched him in the, the the early morning hours before you could shoot. I seen him making a scrape. I didn't know. I knew it was a big buck. I didn't know what deer it was. And luckily, he hung around long enough for the light to get enough that you could see your pin and your bow and all that. And I had him. At, I killed him at seven yards. And that was once he turned his head. I seen the G two. I was like, oh, that's that's that buck I have a picture of, you know. And he he was a, a another mature deer. And that one that one ending ended very better, very very different, I should say. Um, he only ran sixty yards and expired. Yeah. Tell but, me a little bit. Of, go ahead, Mark. You know, you go ahead. Mitchell. I had uh, the one question I had. Um, I find interesting. Like you, you, you did this on multiple occasions in this area where you go in and you've hung a stand the day before. Do you? So do you find yourself like year in and year out having to just slightly adjust stand locations in this woodlot depending on what your cameras are seeing? Like I find it really interesting how you've pinpointed, and it seems like you're just in. And in the first sit, you've been real successful in those early season, those early season hunts. I mean, can you shed more light on that? Um, I do. I do not have like a tree that. Boom! This is the this is the only tree I'm going to hunt this year. Um, I, it, it's weird because a lot of my stands, I've killed two two buck in a row, and then it seems next year I got I, I move and then I'll do I'll kill two there, and then the particular ten point we're talking about right now, I killed him that year, and I thought well, this spot seems pretty good. The following year I hung a stand in the same tree and I also added a water hole into into my property in the equation and the following year i killed one like the october 10th or 11th drinking out of that water hole i had a white oak tree here when i first moved in and got the property and um, that's the tree i was sitting when i seen him that year but i hung a stand there three years in a row i i killed two buck and two doe out of that the first two years it was like my killing tree that was the tree to go to but as the years go on now, this year, last year, there wasn't much action at that that spot. You know, the travel. I usually try to follow the food and their their best travel patterns. 
Now this year was a totally the, the stand I hung a the tree I hung a stand in this year to kill this buck. I've never hung a stand in that tree before in my life. I've never really noticed it until this year. I started looking around. I was like, well, that looks like a pretty good tree, and everything worked for me. And I trimmed a little bit of limbs. Didn't have to trim much. You probably could have used a climber, but I used a lock on because of the the quietness and the easy in and out. Mm-hmm. There's there's another tree on my neighbor's property down over the hill that I started hunting. I don't know, three four years ago. The first first year I ended up killing one there in the rut on a drag line, and then the following year I killed one in September again. Just and that was a buck I never seen before. He was a freaky non typical. He had a typical five point side on on his on his right side and his left side come out of his head and just blew up into like a cactus basically. And he was a he was like a nine or ten point, but I, I've never seen that deer before. And he come in one morning that was late September. He was just doing little bleats and little soft grunts. I was like, "Well, what's this coming?" And he come right in feeding on acorns again. And I was like, "Wow!" I looked him over a little bit and. um he was, he's a different deer. One of them deers that if you, you pass, you're going to kick yourself in the rear end later for passing because it's such an odd rack and a freaky deer. But to, to get back to the question, I kind of just will set up on basically sign and food source. I mean, some of these oak trees that drop bushels of acorns one year, they won't the following year. So you have to adapt to what where the food source is and their 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 pick of acorns early in the season and that's how basically i go about it i mean it's not i don't sure. go to the same tree every year i won't go to the same tree i'll go on sign and i'll i'll move trail cameras around like crazy i'll usually start heavy in july but come august end of august i'm liking to hang some stands already okay you know i want to get get in and hang them although the two biggest buck of my life I killed, I hung the stand 24 hours, not even 24 hours before, and it worked for me. So that could be more of an element of surprise. You know, you, you creep in there and don't, you know, if you, if you do leave any scent, they haven't passed through there while you left that scent and you're surprised. I don't know if that's the case. It could be just a uh, good luck, you know. I don't know, but well, it's probably a combination it's... of stuff. I mean, I always think luck follows people who are well prepared, and I think you're well prepared in most of your cases because you got a, a trophy room that proves that, Mark. Um, the uh, can you talk a little bit about your mindset about pressure? Because you talk about you know I got to find these deer early, I got to hunt them hard early because that's my best chance of success, and it's worked. Um, you know, some people would, would hear hanging a stand the day before and then going in and killing a deer as a little bit too intrusive. Can you just kind of give us your thought process on how you approach this piece of property that you're hunting and try to keep it as fresh as possible, but yet make the most out of those first two, three weeks of season? Yeah, I try not to pressure it too hard, although the the amount of land I have access to um, I mean, the deer I killed this year, that woodlot he was in was basically a quarter acre. Um, no, that was ag fields there, but it was a quarter acre of woods that they just ease themselves into to cross into other properties. The rest of it, pressure wise, I, there is, 
hunting pressure, but most of the hunting pressure I would see would be in rifle season. Now, archery season, there is a neighboring property that do let a lot of guys on, and I always try to to get get in there early and get them on their, their feeding patterns before they start getting into the pre-rut pattern and, and before they start expanding their boundaries and leaving. Because they can leave this woodlot I have very easily and go to you know, half mile away where there might be a hot doe or they make their big circle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a big, a big circle. And once they leave here, I'm out of the game because, and there's, there's a good amount of guys that will bow hunt, archery hunt, not to the extent that I do, but they're usually waiting for that, that rut time frame. I'm guessing. Yeah. And I'll try to get them early before, cause when the rut happens, you know, you might get some different ones in that are awesome, but then you might lose your targeted deer that maybe said, okay, I'm going to take this, this woodlot up as Certainly. my residence. Certainly. And, and now I might, he might lose. And I mean, my son is a friend who killed a deer that I watched almost all year here. Now they killed him in gun season, but that was three quarters of a mile away. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. had pictures of him two, two days before. I had pictures of him two days before and two days later, they they killed him and he was three quarters of a mile away. It's just, I mean, doesn't I would love to know their 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 range that they go, but I always try to get all right. I'm going to try to get them before they start figuring on. Let's go find some ladies, you know. Well, it seems really <laughs> interesting with your setup that you've got some isolated oak trees and you can make the most of it because it does seem like that part of the home range they're narrowed down into at that time frame and that probably has a lot to do with your success. Do you spend time walking around in September when they first start and dropping to find where the most acorns are dropping and kind of utilize that into your equation when you're placing stands and cameras? Yes, I, I will listen for them i'll check them out even in august i'll start i even might sound crazy but i'll even set binoculars and look up into trees and see okay. what they got because the acorn crop is is my reliant i have to rely on that because other than that if there's no acorns they're going to the ag fields and with the ag with them going to the ag fields it's gonna really hurt my strategy you know um but when we got acorns and I'll start finding the trees that are really dropping, the ones that are dropping the best. You know, if it's, if this, this white oak gets dropping, okay, well, this is where we're going to be targeting early season. Or maybe I got a couple black oaks that are dropping, you know, wherever the, the majority of the acorns are. And I hope they're good size. I mean, the other year we had some that were marble size. I'm talking the ones that are like quarter size. You want the big ones. And I, they just, they think they're candy that early season. I mean, they love them. I mean, I have a couple trees. Down the neighbor property where I killed two deer, they're huge, huge oak trees. Mm-hmm. Last two years ago, there wasn't an acorn on the ground down there, nothing, and that makes you scratch your head, and then you you're really struggling. I mean, two years ago, I went to Lycoming County and I killed a deer the last week of November, second second week of November, because of that. I was just severely in a slump here because of the food source. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the food source. It's it's not going to work like it has worked for me in the past. But I mean, even going back to that hunt, hanging the stand, hunting the next day, and the two two out of the three Pope and Young bucks that I have 
happen that way. You know, and it's not like I'm going to do that for, I didn't, this year, obviously, you, it wasn't set up for that way, but it worked that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't go in there saying, I'm going to hang this stand and kill this buck. Where the previous one, that 10 point, that was my intention. This year it wasn't. So it, this year I might have had somebody looking down on me, luck, but I knew it was still in his, his, his line. Give it, give or take 50, 60 yards left to right, but he was still using the, the like the crest, I'm going to call it the gnaw of the hill. He was running on the top edge of, call it a ridge, whatever, but he was on top. And that's where his straight line was, you know, back and forth. I'm pretty sure I knew where his bedding area was. I couldn't, I couldn't get there, but I was on his travel corridor. I would have loved to be closer to his bedding area. If I would have been closer, that deer would have been killed at the back of my property instead of at the front. But it's just the way it worked out. I mean, and I'm going to take this into where I shed hunt a lot, a lot, especially on this hill. And then the, the neighbors who don't let me hunt will let me shed hunt which I just use that as a learning experience, investigating, learning how they're running, learning where they're betting, you know, use that a lot as an educational thing more than just picking antlers up off the ground. But that helped me a lot since I lived here, just having that knowledge of what they're doing on the property that I can't hunt at that time. Do you find a lot of, uh, do you find a lot of, uh, of what you're looking for on those properties you can't hunt on like do you do you see they're using those properties a lot oh the one is is, is, a, is a nest i'll call it but yeah. i kind of like it that way that because that's a sanctuary yep yep where they can go hide and yeah it might be might make me pull my hair out at times trying to hunt alongside of it or close to it but i kind of like it being there yeah. you know that gives gives them an area to mature to grow to hide you know, because if they come off this hill during that, that Monday, Saturday after Thanksgiving, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. A lot of these people are going to bang, bang, bang. And yep. I mean, not saying I don't like rifle hunting, but I'd rather not. I haven't shot a deer with a rifle in 10 years, probably. Well, sure. Your your goals are to try to see a deer get to a good age class and hunt them with a the bow. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just the same as there's nothing wrong with somebody else um shooting the first legal deer if that's what they want to do it makes them happy that's what yeah, it's all it, about it, it just makes it's all your, when your when your goals uh clash with somebody else it just can make your thing a little bit more challenging but i think that's part of the the lingo to learning and becoming a better hunter at your craft yeah i mean it's everybody's cup of tea i mean they want to got the guy who wants to fill his freezer have at it there's nothing i can do to change your mind i mean there's years that I did that too in my younger years. So yeah, I don't, I, I'm just, I'm going to meat hunt and want to do this. But as I get older and, you know, now I have another hunter in the house with my son. We don't, we're, we're we got the, the more tags, you know, you can take a couple does here and there and then try to be selective on the antler class that you want to kill. I mean, is it going to be like it was this year every year? No. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a long time. If it could be possible, but it's going to be a long time till I get to hunt a deer of this caliber right here, you know. But we do have sheds this year from one that I've been watching for two years now. Haven't seen him. I did see him this year after I was tagged out with my naked eye, and it was during the rut. And he is very impressive. Um, 
my son seen him. My son actually drew back on him. Uh, did not, didn't work out. Uh, we had a decoy out that night, and of course, the deer came the side that he couldn't see the decoy. But that deer, he is going to be six years old, I think, this year, if that's my estimation. He's definitely sure. five. Um, we couldn't find his, his matching side this year. We have one of them. My son found it. Um, last year I had his matching set and he's just a straight up eight point, but mass. Oh my God, does he have mass? He's probably only 16, 17 inches wide, but I'm talking fat points. He's, that's one that I would like to target this, this fall, but he doesn't, I don't see him until right around the rut. Okay. And then once the rut hits, he seems to stay. He will stay here and he winters here. And then he's gone. Like now he's gone. I know he's gone this time of year. He's gone. But come like mid no early November, mid November, he might show up and he'll hang through the gun season and then all through the winter. And once he sheds and the weather starts getting a little better, he must go. I'd love to know where he goes. I'd love to know where he summers, but I don't know. But he, he's one that we were going to try. I'll try anyway to uh, see if I can figure him out a little more. It's always a challenge. It's, it's a real good challenge to puzzle piece and putting pieces together to try to get these older deer that have been here a few years and know, know your tactics and know what they're, what they're being hunted and they're still surviving. It's amazing. Well, I think what's real possible too with the property that you're hunting, it, it sounds like with that early season setup and kind of what you've learned and, and molded over time, it sounds like who knows what could show up in 2022 for you and who knows what, uh, what the cards have for you at that point. Yeah, I mean, once even rifle season, it's it's like these deer have a calendar that they know that they're looking at because once rifle season hit this year, I left my cameras run, and it was amazing to see the different bucks that were coming in. Some stayed, some were just visiting, but we had some. I mean, buck that I would have killed with a bow. I think three or four that came in gun season. But I was like, wow, I hope they stick around. I hope they stick around. And they don't. I mean, they'll leave for their summer, wherever they summer. And then hopefully they come back. Um, we have, I found like me and my son, between the two of us, I think we found sheds off eight different bucks this winter on, on a, a 50 acre, 50 acre parcel. You know, that's, and some of those are nothing to sneeze about. There's some good two-and-a-half-year-olds. There's a three-and-a-half-year-old, and then there's that one that I'm thinking is going to be six next year. Um, those deer, there's something to, to look forward to. And Other years, I had weaker years shed hunting, but this year was a, uh, a bumper year, and I'm hoping it progresses into fall and lets us know what we're going to have the, the options this fall to uh, try to take. Robbie, you got any closing thoughts on us for Mark? Yeah, I just, uh, I find it interesting that, I mean, I, uh, your story, Mark, with, uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but all the, all the trail camera pictures getting in the beginning were all in the evening time. And then you put up that stand and he just happened to come by that stand. He got him in the morning. It kind of reminds me of Mitchell's story of his book two years ago, where it's the complete opposite. Mitchell was able to pattern him getting he he had uh two or three days in a row was getting photos of his buck 
in the evening and then hunted in the evening and got them in the evening. So it just, uh, it just kind of makes me think of all the different, it's not really strategies, but all the different ways you can kill really good buck. And some ways you're just, like you said, you're just luckier than others. And that's what I was sort of thinking about the whole time in the beginning, because, because, uh, like the group of guys I hunt with sometimes there's buck that they never seen before too, that are there for two days, go through their property and then they never see him again. And like you were saying here at the end, uh, with, with rifle hunting, Oh, I hope that buck stays around. I hope that buck stays around. That's how it is out there too. So it's just, it's like you said, you just gotta sometimes pattern and sometimes hope, hope that one walks by. you. The, I only had one morning, one morning sequence of pictures of him. And that was the morning that, I probably would have been out if it was not at work. Yeah. But other than that, other than that, he was, uh, he was an evening stroller and, and it was within an hour of dark. He was, he'd light up the camp. I mean, there was one night I hunted the early season one evening and I came home. I was getting undressed and just came in the house to sit down and eat some dinner and my phone went off. I was like, huh, there he is. I was just there, you yep. know, it, and that, that, that was one of them things. And, but, as history has it, my mornings, this is, I mean, as long as I hunted, I had some properties I hunted already that were, you didn't even bother hunting them in the morning. It was just an evening spot. Yeah. And then this is the first, when I was younger, I'm talking to my teens and I, I hated getting up in the morning. I didn't, I just didn't want to do it, you know, <laughs> early twenties. Like I didn't want to get up. And now I'm like, man, you got to get up. Yep. If you don't want to get up, you got to get up because the morning is where it, happens i mean i see a big difference in numbers of deer hunting in the am than the pm on on the properties i can hunt here but it doesn't say that you ain't gonna kill one in the pm my son killed a doe this year with his with his compound and he's 12 in the evening and he had all kind of action he can only hunt in the evenings because of school yeah he was having wonderful luck in the evenings you know it's just you know might be the luck of the draw might be stand selections but I prefer and I get more opportunities to hunt the morning. Yep. So that's what I'll go after. Yep. Not saying the evenings aren't going to work or not going to work, but it seems the mornings are the ticket. Well, you know, I, I think the context we learned about this in the beginning, like with you having a property that's kind of in the transition, seems like you can access it pretty like non-intrusively between ag and bedding and you know the thing i've learned in hunting mornings is you know mornings are great if you have good access but uh, some of the properties that i hunt i find that the mornings with uh you know that switching thermal in that first half hour and like kind of the the location of where deer are going to and coming from i really struggle with getting a wind direction that i can do it because i know what happens all too often we have we have uh uh, morning pictures on cameras consistently we try to hunt those locations and we really really struggle with that uh, wind direction and thermal and allowing those spots to produce for us given the situation it sounds like with with the context from you i agree mornings can be dynamite and it just seems like that setup you have is uh is just conducive to allow you to get in and out and be undetected and connect with these deer yeah i usually i mean i have a a path back through the woods and then to I, I might only set one or two stand locations right on my property and there's usually one or two on the neighbors 
But the ones on mine, I will actually leaf blow or rake the leaves so I can go in as silent as possible. Um, that one, that 10-pointer I killed, I'm almost guaranteeing that that morning I walked past him. Well, he was on the upper, on the knoll, and I my access point is at the bottom of my property, and then I'll cut, I'll like loop around and swing up to the stand. Cause it was, it wasn't much time when I got in that stand that morning and hung my bow and knocked my arrow and just sat down that I heard him coming in which he would have been coming right out the top of the hill. I mean, we were probably real close to each other as much as that hunt, that hunt was only 40 minutes long. I think that morning, if that, that from the time I got in the stand until I was standing over him, it was that quick. Now, is that luck? I'm sure it has a lot of luck into it, but. You know, with me just accessing that stand from swinging down low and then cutting straight up to the stand instead of walking straight to the stand from the back of my my garage or shop, you know, that would have busted him out. You have to play them a little bit. You have to know where they run and and try not to disturb them on their travel corridor from food to bedding. Sure, you know? sure. So, yeah. Well, good deal, man. I uh, I definitely have to think about early season a little bit more. I love hunting early season. We've had some great success early season. I'm still trying to learn how to hunt early season in the morning sometimes, but without a doubt, every time we get these conversations with guys and talk about their success stories, uh, if nothing else, besides the learning we get, it's always a, a pump up thing. Yeah. So yeah, early seasons can be a bonus. The only there's there's side side effects too when it's warm. You're gonna sweat. You know. If you if you do kill a deer, you gotta know what to do with it quick because you know and some of them days are getting into the high eighties and it's like yeah. But I, I I like it. I mean I'll hit it hard, and I'll hit it hard early and then usually around that um, inline season they call it the October lull. I don't know if it is, but sometimes during that when they're starting to pre-rut, yeah I'll I'll back off a little bit, but I do like to hunt. So I mean if it's I work to live and live the hunt kind of thing. You know, once I do most of us. <laughs> oh, once the archer season starts, you know, my wife knows that I'm going to be in the woods every single chance I can be. That's it's feasible, you know. It's uh, but then I hunt and trap, and I'm busy all the time. So the only time I'm not doing anything is <laughs> June, July, and August, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Mark, I uh, I really appreciate you sharing the story. I, I know the ending of your deer this past year wasn't the way you wanted it to, but I think there's a, a story of perseverance, and there's a lot to take from this story. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing that with us. Hey, no problem. It was my pleasure. Hey, till next time, we'll uh, we'll catch you later, and good luck this upcoming year. Thanks, Mark. Okay. Thanks to you guys, too, and uh, good luck to both of you. Thank, Thank you. you.